0: Hello and welcome again to our encounter. We're going to be on Lesson 11. This is going to be from Sunday, May 15th. It's going to be Acts 17, the true God.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: anyway, no, I still have my whole head. It's just when you're bald, sometimes the lighting doesn't help any. So, it's okay. You're, okay
1: you're, you're blending in with the wall just a little bit.
0: So my name is Chris Fleming. I'm the adult ministry coordinator for uh, adult ministry coordinator for the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and I'm actually in my office down in Memphis. So
1: yes, Becky we traded in places. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I'm so glad to fun. be here with you. Uh, remember, if you can hit the subscribe button, uh, if you're a regular follower of this, it'll make it easier on you and it'll make it better for us. And so that's thank you right. Much. Uh, also, I'd say this because I know we have some subscribers that aren't um subscribe to our newsletter so if you go to cpcmc.org forward slash encounter you scroll toward the bottom there's a spot there to put your name email address and if you're part of one of our churches put your church uh, name in there and then hit submit and i'll get you on a newsletter that'll send you a newsletter with this video with the podcast link with some just extra study stuff if you want it um, so if you want to do that please do and then i'm going to let uh reverend rebecca Zarti introduce
1: her right right reverend. right Reverend.
0: okay right. yeah hi
1: reverend. hi everybody nice to see you again today uh, i am reverend rebecca dardy i am the director i see a trip over every time the director of ministry with women for the ministry council for the cumberland presbyterian church i need it just like written across the top of my screen so i can read it off that would be amazing mm-hmm. but yeah it, Welcome, and thank you for joining us today, and as I'm just going to echo what Chris said, if you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do so. That that helps us a great deal and also helps you um, so that you get these videos as soon as they come out.
0: All right, so like I said, Acts 17 is one of my favorite passages. When I was a younger, younger Christian growing up, I told you all before I was kind of into the apologetics kinds of things, and when you think about apologetics, uh, this is one of the scripture passages that uh, show exactly what it means. It's when you're engaging culture, engaging people for the purpose of yeah. saying, here's Jesus Christ. Right? This, is, this is the true God. Yeah. So um, that being said, let me go ahead and say our prayer for illumination. Mm. Revealing God, we can know something of you through nature, but we want to know more. We want to love you more. Ready us today that as we study your word, we not only add to our head knowledge, but our hearts are warmed towards you. Amen. Oh, and then man. because the encounter has a terrible editor, uh, we've, we've missed, misapplied the uh, scripture reference. It's Acts, t- Acts 1730, not Acts 1630. So uh, the memory verse, while God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Again, that's Acts 1630. Um, all right. So we're getting into this. And, and I would ask, uh, Becky, I'll just start with this discussion question and we can bring in yeah. her her uh, writing. What does it mean to be prepared? What does, it, what does prepared look like at your house? What things do you do? What do you check or what do you regularly buy to feel safer? And I'm assuming a, it means like safe as in like preparing for natural disasters sure. or you know, whatever.
1: Or maybe just like weekly prep. Cause I was thinking, you know, what is it? look like to be prepared in my house? Well, I'm sure you may be able to hear behind me, but my my husband is currently preparing dinner. So we're very diligent. Um, Our children, all of our children lived with us for eight months. And we are very diligent about making meal plans for the week. So we were prepared for the entire week's worth of dinner food. And even after our children have moved out, we have continued this. So we make a weekly menu and then grocery shop just for what we need. Um, So being prepared in our house is to make sure you got enough food to feed everybody, I guess. That's, That's the thing that we regularly do. But I think you just do things on a regular basis to make yourself feel safer. Like, you know, especially I had a friend of mine years ago. That his home was very food insecure. And so he, like overbought his cupboards. I mean, it was just him and his wife, but his cupboards were absolutely packed. He had a huge refrigerator, huge freezer, absolutely packed because in the back of his mind, he was always afraid that they were going to happens. run out of food. You know, even though it was just the two of them, there was just that that whole idea that he grew up in food insecurity, that it was something that made it needed to feel safer um you know I love my family and thank goodness I don't know that they're going to watch this necessarily but my my one sister is notoriously um out of toilet paper so my mom to feel safe always packs toilet paper in the car when she goes to visit just to make sure
0: Gotta make sure, <laughs> just
1: yeah. <to> make sure. <laughs> so yeah well, that was one way that we feel safer what about you
0: I don't and it always at all no I don't I don't it's not me like
1: okay
0: i'm terrible at it and i'm always i feel irresponsible because well like we've been at places together where i've forgotten something and i've had to borrow something of yours or you know that's just me i I don't prepare well it's not my Mm -hmm. spiritual gifting my wife however is opposite of me and she's preparing for any time a tornado or anything could happen this i carry with me this is one of the examples it's uh she bought this, she bought me and every single member of her family, one of these, and it's a solar powered uh, battery thing. So if your cell phone dies or if you need, <sighs> right. So like I get these yeah. kinds of gifts a lot with her and she's always thinking, well, what if this happens or what if that happens or whatnot? <laughs> um, I don't know. Life is easier when you're prepared, but I it guess. can also be stressful by getting yeah. sick. So there's yes. a in between there. And you I know, think, I think yeah. maybe
1: it's a female thing. Do you think it's a female no, thing? Yeah, there's guys. No. Like, no, like, well,
0: that's true. think about it. Think about the amount of money that's in like a uh, disaster prepared readiness kits that yes. you can buy offline and things. Now, that's a huge business yeah. right now. Uh, I was just
1: thinking about. of the game that we always play when women get together: of what what's in your purse. Uh,
0: you no, nope, never played that we, game.
1: You've never played that game. It's an amazing. Okay, so I've been to so many women's conferences where this is like the big game that we play. They somebody at the front wall. Like, say, if, if you have a whatever, a paperclip in your purse, and the first woman to come up with a paperclip out of her purse will get a prize or whatever and it's amazing. That sounds The terrible. things that people car- carry around in their purse. My husband really laughed one day because I was like cleaning out my purse and I had a golf ball in there. You're prepared. I don't golf. My husband does sure. not golf. I just happened to find a golf ball that stayed there. So I was prepared for somebody who needed to go golfing.
0: It happens. And I'm glad you'd be prepared for that. But But, (laughs) no matter how we prepare, no matter how much we prepare, there's a lot of times, even when you're cooking, you find yourself out of that one spice you need, or you find yourself, you've forgotten the thing that you meant to pack, because that's what happens in life. And uh, I think that's a little bit of what Reverend Jennifer was trying to bring out today. Uh, She was talking about Mars Hill, which is a place where they Mm -hmm. had this pantheon of gods, and they had every single god you could possibly imagine, just to make sure Everybody was feeling good. Nobody's feeling left out. Bases were recovered. Even, and even more so, they had a statue of, for the unknown God, because there's right. probably another one out there, right? And so that's where we kind of pick it up. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: as Paul points out, that which you uh, worship as unknown, I will proclaim yeah. to you as known, right?
1: Amen. Uh,
0: so um, he ends the, on page 71 before the exploring the scripture section. Um, in our lesson today, we consider the careful way in which the Athenians tried to cover all their bases when it came to religious devotion and how their very best efforts still came up short. Right? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, when Paul says in, in that memory verse, while God has overlooked the time of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, right? That's kind of the thrust of Paul's mission. Ignorance right. is, not a, is not bliss when it comes to Paul.
1: Yeah, we need to be prepared. And this is what we're going to do. Get prepared.
0: All right. So in our exploring the scripture setting, we had a very large exploring the scripture setting. Uh, and so um, it's a run over. So we don't have a digging deeper because we only get X amount of pages. And so when I was editing, I had to make a I had to make an editorial choice. So um, so we're going to explore the scripture uh, and then we go into the learning from the scripture section. today. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: go ahead. If you mm-hmm.
1: like. she really Jennifer really gets into some really good stuff today and we're going to talk about a few of these so Athens is the home to philosophy right I mean we think about all the big philosophical conversations I'm sure anybody that's gone to college I'm pretty sure philosophy is one of those that's required courses to kind of round out your your education so we think about Plato and Aristotle and all of these that come from Athens and how much this played a big part of their culture. Um, it, she points out on 72, she said, philosophy shaped the ethics and expectations of ordinary folks in obvious and intentional ways. So it's these conversations. And when I was thinking about the, these philosophical conversations, I went back to growing up when I was just out of high school there were a bunch of my friends and I that we'd have coffee you know at three o'clock in the morning at the local 24-hour restaurant House, right
0: in the south yeah I'm not sure okay
1: we're we were at uh, country kitchen is where we were and so we would sit and have coffee all night long and order of cheese sticks every once in a while right but we always sat and had these deep thinking philosophical conversations about the universe and the world around us. And, and of course, you know, we solved all the world's problems if anybody, everybody would listen to us and everything would be fine, right. And this is what was happening in Athens. These are the kind of conversations that were taking place these deep conversations of trying to understand the natural world around them and how it all coexisted and worked and that sort of thing and that's that's where we're going to start. Chris, where do you want to go next for that one? Oh,
0: I would say, uh, yeah. So it was a, uh, it seemed to be the way it's portrayed in literature or even in scripture here that it was a place of of great diversity, right? So oh. she writes in here, uh, in uh, at least in Tarsus. Paul grew up in a place where there's Zoroastrianism, Manichaeism, uh, other cults to gods such as Hercules, Mithras, Sybil, and Isis. Uh, and think about Athens is even bigger, right? Um, right, right? So, like, I say all that to say there was not as much uprest as you might see, right? Like, in Athens, they had, you know, a place where there were gods of all cults and places all in one spot and everybody got yes. together and they they argued not in the way we use the term argue, but yeah not
1: yelling out. boisterous right. coming to fists not not this kind of art more of a debate just constant sure, debate
0: i know human beings i'm sure it got that way every once in a while what? but sure. for the vast majority of it it seemed as though that you came here to reason out ideas which i think is an admirable thing right so like everybody spoke everybody was able to put in their two cents and so paul was saying some crazy stuff but they were like yeah it's new let's let's bring him in yeah see how it works it. and uh, so that's the setting of which we're starting with and um but in that text it brings up particularly two branches or two philosophical thoughts. One of them is Epicureanism, and then one of them is Stoicism, right? Mm-hmm. And so our discussion question we'll, we'll hold on to for a second. But, like, Epicureanism uh, was a major, as she says in, uh, on page 72, uh, second to last paragraph, Epicureanism was a major school of philosophy in ancient Greece and Rome based on the teachings of Epicurus. Although they believed the gods were real, they were materialists who focused on the visible world which they said was composed of smaller parts called atoms, go figure. And they lived as if religion was irrelevant since everything in the universe was a matter of chance and personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. But the thing that um, really sets Epicureanism apart is that it was really focused on the senses, right? And, and right. really the highest goal was pleasure. But sure. as a, it wasn't just, because too much pleasure would drive yourself terrible too. So it was a, like, enjoy drink. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even back then, they knew that if you were a drunkard, it would lead to bad things. Right. Or enjoy sexuality. Mm -hmm. But even back then, there were sexual standards. So, you know, and so to achieve happiness, but not overdo it, right? Mm -hmm. Out of the goal.
1: Avoid pain and be happy.
0: Avoid pain, yeah. Um, I think later on... I think it's Paul. Doesn't Paul use the term, you know, eat, drink, and be merry? Or no, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who says this stuff, um, where he says, you know, he was talking about people who live life without reverence. Eat, drink, and be merry, but tomorrow you may die. These kinds of things. Right, right. Pick that up. I'm going to look at that. Uh, yeah. That up so I don't look like a complete and total idiot because I can't remember what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um anything on epicureanism if not if well the know.
1: epicurean that was that was where the discussion question comes in and and right. how it portrays in our life so the big thing with epicureans was again to avoid pain and pursue personal pleasure though not to access right so don't be in pain don't not a lot of drama i mean you can't that's not what they're going for they don't want drama in their life they just just live life easy yeah. peasy you know, make everything happy and just joyous and that sort of thing. And her discussion question, I really, I really thought it hit home. I really enjoyed it. She says, think of the contemporary expressions of Epicurean philosophy. What examples can you come up with from our culture? In what ways do those influence the way we run our churches, market our ministries and or share the good news? And if you think about our current culture, Well, and not just our culture per se, but definitely our culture, we're, we're looking for ways to find inner peace and happiness, to not be involved in a lot of drama, to not cause anyone personal pain, to not cause ourselves pain, but to just, just live life and be happy. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, uh, and we'll get into that maybe a little bit later, the bumper sticker theology is live life and be happy, right? Um, and I think that plays a major role in where we are today.
0: Yeah, so far as in churches, I mean, like, we're all geared toward the, um, if we really stripped it down, hopefully, you know, not everybody preaches mm-hmm. like this, but I've seen preaching out there like this, or churches that are established to, um, I don't know, massage your, your own desires and, and your own yeah. you know, pleasure in life. And in some way, we make religion a lot of times We'll get into this kind of at the end where Reverend Jen, Reverend Jennifer decides to have a revival sermon. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I mean, like a lot of times we can reconstruct this religion and our preference based on our preferences, something that makes us feel good and justifies yes. us, right? And that's yeah. that can be a scary thing with uh, an Epicureanism.
1: Yeah, because you're you're not balancing out everything. It's always you know the joy and the good and the the great part of it but there's also for us you know i mean christ has told us that we're going to be persecuted that we will suffer that we will have pain in our lives that's so you can you miss that balance between the two you can go too far one direction absolutely
0: so it's luke 12 it's the parable of the rich fool and this would kind of sum up maybe a critique of epicureanism from jesus and there's this uh there's these brothers in the crowd, and, and they yell to Jesus as say, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance, and then Jesus says, look, life is less about abundance of possessions and more about, you know, uh, spirituality, and so he, he tells the parable of the, uh, of the rich fool, where um, this farmer pretty much has this amazingly large yield a harvest, yeah. and, it, and it's, I love this, and he said to his soul, soul, what do I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he's saying, you know, this is what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns, right? Or bigger silos. And, and I can, I'll have plenty of grain laid up for many years. I can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But Jesus says, uh, God said to the man, you fool this very night, your life will be demanded for from you. Then who will get everything you have prepared for yourself. And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. That would be, um, of the the critique jesus has of of epicureanism and and yeah. i do think that uh that seeps into our churches it seeps into our lives or whatever
1: sure sure yeah um because we can go too far where we're looking inward and trying to just build up our storehouses that we never look outward and see their communities around us
0: so then on the opposite side of things um mm-hmm. almost on the opposite side of things we're introduced to stoicism and that yeah. was a uh, pretty big philosophy, like she has in here stoicism thrived yes. from 300 BCE to 200 CE, and I think it's also a pretty big one now, actually. Um, I
1: think it has seen a huge resurgence in the last few years, I do agree.
0: If I understand stoicism the way I would, it's it's that almost divorce, it's almost the opposite of Epicureanism, where you're looking for like a real self-determination or self-control and logical thought, I would say... In some ways, it's that John Wayne character. You know, you don't, hmm. you don't let your emotions take you anywhere you need to. It's just you're, you're doing what you got to do, and you're not worried about all the, all the frills of life. What's uh, sure. John Wayne? But I love it. True Grit. True right? Grit. Like that character, Roster Crogburn, is that his name? Or Rooster Crogburn, <laughs> I, I forgot his name. I
1: don't honestly remember.
0: Anyway, for those of you who are Cumberland Presbyterian theologians or history buffs, uh, in the book... That movie was based off a book. The main character, I think her name was Maddie. She was a Cumberland Presbyterian. There we go. Anyway, but you know what I'm talking. I mean, there's there's somewhat yeah. of a disconnect between the emotional life and everything should be thought out well-reasoned.
1: Yeah, I think of the facial expressions. It's just, there's no, I mean, it's to just be so emotionally controlled that nothing ever bothers you. She says nothing, that stoics encourage a focus on what they can control and not let things outside of their control bother or upset them so it's just this just total i like the john wayne comparison yeah, yeah i think
0: that's an easy way to say it yeah just there yeah. it is um and i'd say the critique of that from a christian point of view would be that you learn to live in which you enjoy the enjoyments you don't go too far on them like god gave us desires yeah desires aren't bad that'd be with epicureanism too i mean we wouldn't deny that desires are good like the reason why maybe if you're not looking at it from an evolutionary point of view maybe the reason we have hormones is because we can keep loving our spouse right and be faithful because you know what i'm saying like it 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 increases our desire to multiply and fill the earth if you and so um to deny that would be to deny those commandments that you find in Genesis chapter one, uh, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth kind of thing. And so Mm -hmm. there's a sense in which you don't want to get caught up on either end to deny, you know, something like you can feel good and that's not bad. Yeah. Because gratitude is a, is a feeling of emotion.
1: Yes. And joy and excitement. I mean, these are all good things, but then you also have the other side where if you look at our Psalms, how many of them are just soul wrenching laments where people are crying out to god and just heart wrenching situations and circumstances you know and and that's okay too um maybe you can't control the situation and that's good because i think that is a good thing for us to learn is that there are things outside of our control but it's okay that we can lament over it it's okay that we can be upset over it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
0: No, and to and to affirm that that's part of humanity. That's part of being yeah. is to hurt, and it is to rejoice and yes. to develop those in good ways, but not to deny them. But then not to completely like you don't want to live to avoid pain, like the Epicurean, no. because that's a and certain. you
1: don't yeah, and you don't want to live like inside of pain either, because right. that's not good. I mean, again, it comes back to there's a balance. Mm-hmm. There's a balance, and I think we have to find that balance between the two.
0: Um, yes. And let's see here. I wanted to go on here. Now, Aragopagus. Aragopagus. Aragopagus.
1: It's a P. Arapagus.
0: Yeah. Arap Arapagus. Arapagus. Good boy. Ah, That's right, friends. Sometimes you okay. get something stuck in your head. You can't.
1: Okay. And if you can't understand. Ask Google how do you say it, and Google will I did tell that. you every time. Right before yeah. we
0: got on, and then I forgot what it says. That's so
1: there,
0: funny. Yeah. Um, so, um, but again, we've kind of described this. This is a place to where there was just a lot of Greek gods. It was where you could mm-hmm. you could go and discuss these things. It's we've called it Mars Hill, right? That's how we know it mostly. Right. It? So you've had a lot of churches named Mars Hill or these kinds of things, uh, and and. You know, people choose names for a reason. So when you choose a name like Mars Hill as your church, it means that you're probably trying to engage culture, maybe in a way that another church isn't. Like you're set up to try to intentionally debate ideas and to bring mm-hmm. people to your side. Mm-hmm. Of so there's so that. That's
1: where that's where we find Paula today. So yes. so understanding where the Arrow Pegasus is and the fact that it was the it was the kind of the highlights of the community. It was yeah. up on the hill. It was where you could see down to the marketplace. And, and so this is where your major debates happen between your different philosophers. So for Paul to receive an invitation to come to the Areopagus, so that he could be heard. I mean, this was, this was a very influential audience in Athens that he was speaking to. And so it was really important um, and quite exciting that he had this invitation to come and to explain what he was, what he wanted to talk about.
0: Yep. I think you, uh, you wanted to highlight that kind of middle paragraph, the religion and superstition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so with all of the different gods that were there in Athens, again, the people were really trying to cover their basis and make sure that everything and everybody, all the gods (laughs) were given their due. Um, So there was a couple of things. One is that the Jews and Christians were often accused of being atheists because they rejected all the gods except just one. Um, And if you think about the cultures at the time, the cultures of the time were centered around worship to their respective gods and goddesses, right? So you would have all of these different festivals and rituals that would happen. And so if you had a group of people, and I think we've talked about it on this, on this podcast before, but if you had a group of people that were not celebrating the rituals and festivals and customs that were happening with their local gods and goddesses and then something some tragedy befell the community you're gonna turn and look at the people that weren't worshiping like it was your fault you're the ones that caused this problem because you did not worship and respect our god whoever Um, and this is why this tragedy has happened upon our community And this is a lot of times why the Christians and the Jews were outcasts of the community, because they felt like anything that bad happened in that community, it was because of them, because they were not worshiping their local community gods, just the one God. And and that's kind of what put them as the outcasts for the the area.
0: It's funny how times change. Well, so like when Rome fell, I mean, one of the reasons as to why Augustine wrote some of the things he wrote was to defend Christians. From the charge that because christians didn't worship or didn't participate in the civil religion is why rome fell right um but think of how time's changed in the sense of now like if if you get to if you go to church at all 55 60 percent of america still has a pretty good relationship with the church and they all get along and be like ah we're being you know the wrath of god is coming because you know of all this disobedience and all that jazz and so um Mm -hmm. Or it could be that God is a providential God and, and things are working in control and He's trying. God is trying to uh, push people to repentance or whatnot. Right. That could also yeah. be.
1: That That's could be right. it.
0: So the discussion question that there, what it. ways does Paul's description of God address Epicurean or Stoic concerns? What would you add to Paul's description? Why do you think Paul would have left that out? Um, I'll say, I'll start with the bottom question. Let's say this. Why do you think Paul left that out? He might not have probably what we have is like a, you know, probably a small snippet synopsis, and synopsis of what Paul was preaching, first yeah. of all. So um, I think maybe the better question would be, why do you think that Luke chose to put in what he put in about oh. what Paul wrote? Now, um, that's
1: a good point, because Paul liked to talk yeah. a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, he did quite a bit. So um, his
1: conversation was probably much, much longer. So that's a good point.
0: Um I don't know. You want to? I just wanted to throw that out there. Have you thought about this question?
1: I have, and I don't. I don't know that I would. I don't know what what I would think that Paul had left out. I mean, well, Luke's account, because thinking about that now, um I think Luke really kind of did a cut and dry, probably of the much longer conversation that Paul had, and brought out his main points. You know. Um, Paul did a great job of saying, look, I, I see that you're very religious people. I mean, you have all of this religious artifacts and look all this, and you even have one to an unknown God. Well, let me tell you about this God. This God is, and and talks about just how amazing um, the creator of everything is, you know? So I don't, I don't know. I think Luke did a really good job of boiling yeah. all down. Paul's main
0: thoughts? I think the only thing I think I would add would be repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. There, okay. there um, you go. So, I guess in some sense, when Paul talks about, um, you know, I see how extremely religi- religious you are in every way. Um, uh, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. I guess so. Yeah you know john when john identifies jesus christ as the logos or the unifying principle or the overarching concept the uh, you know whatever um i think um paul is kind of understanding god in the same way like to the stoics he's trying to say look you can't understand ultimate reality and you can't make wise yeah. decisions if you don't know this true god who formed the heavens and the earth but i think it's the same then for the epicureans like you can't know pleasure if you don't know the one who created the world or your own Mm -hmm. body or your own mind, like how, how can you say what is good and bad? What is ultimately right without uh, this God um, that we live and move and have our being. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So also Epicureans and Stoics, I think she said that I can't, I mean, some, it's not as if God really mattered to them. Like God sure, sure. was just something that could and need to be satiated, but also could maybe God um in some way, shapes or form, but they were secondary mm-hmm. to, but, you know, when Paul says you're God's offspring, like your God is no longer then to be ignored. Right. Or unknown. God
1: is not something so far removed that you cannot have a relationship mm-hmm. or I guess the relationship with, with God. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't the Epicureans You're the ones wrong. who Okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> weren't the Epicureans the ones who felt that that the gods operated outside of human, like they just kind of humans were there and just did whatever. You know, I kind of think
0: both of them would have done that. Yeah. I can't I can't remember honestly. So okay. I don't want to Okay.
1: Teachers something to look up for you.
0: Yeah, I mean their understanding is the gods. I mean it's like just wasn't they weren't important. So they right. were you would use the term atheistic in the sense of their theology, not non-theistic, but atheistic. Like it just didn't matter. Right? It right. was more of a well, no, I guess it'd be non-theistic, not a athe, not atheistic, because
1: the gods didn't really meddle in human yeah, human just affairs. Just, they they just unless you made a matter. That's true. Okay, that's a really good point. That's true.
0: So um all right. So let's go to the, uh, learning from the scripture. I like this, how to talk. So people will listen. I think this is important guys. So you might want to have an extended talk about this. I don't think we will, cause we've been talking a lot, but, um, you know, well,
1: that's what we'll, we get. That's what we do. Right. We talk a lot.
0: What we make all this money for.
1: <laughs> Amen.
0: <laughs> so anyway, um, we do get this sense in which, you know, you know, this isn't a shock to Paul that people who don't believe like him live in the world. Okay, fine. Right, whatever. Right. Um, but then how did he interact? Like yeah, um, you have an example of Jesus in the gospels when like Jews are, you know, making money off of God in the temple and he gets righteously angry or you have um, Elijah on the Mount, you know, when the prophets of Baal uh, and him have that battle, yeah, on one another. But you don't see this. Um, same kind of thing with Paul. Instead, he's like, okay, we're all reasonable people here. You've invited me. Let's have a real conversation. And so Jennifer writes in page 74, second paragraph uh-huh. from the scripture, as angry as he surely is, and as righteous as that anger may be, Paul does not berate or, or lecture the people around him. Instead, he moves quickly from the synagogue out into the town, talking and debating with anyone willing um, to listen. Obviously, mm-hmm. that never goes well for him. But, but the point is, Paul's not the one that's—he's not the one that's bringing on suffering to other people, right? No. So, um, what do you got? there
1: he's he's honestly wanting to have a conversation i think something that we need to remember about paul is that he grew up in tarsus and athens at one point was the huge you know again we think of plato and aristotle this huge uh, philosophical center for the world at that time and then after athens kind of was on the decline it went to tarsus so the environment that paul grew up in um And the time that he spent after Ananias came and prayed over him and the scales were moved from his eyes and he went back to Tarsus for a time. He had this great experience of growing up in a culture that was so incredibly diverse and yet he was so very dedicated Paul obviously was very zealous. That he had the opportunity to learn how to be a good orator, how to be a good debater, because this is the culture that he lived in. This he is was the trained culture in. that he came out of, very well trained. So when he came to Athens and he was invited to the Areopagus. I think for him, because of the training he received, it made it easy for him not to berate and lecture, but to really engage in honest debate and conversation about how he felt and saw the world around him versus how they felt and saw the world around themselves. I and so I think point. that's, yeah. How about
0: this? How about maybe Paul actually loved them? Yes. And love of them overrode his desire to be seen as right yes although those two happened, not only did he love them but he wanted them to be right yeah but his love was a tempering factor on simply just getting angry and forcing someone into believing as he believed
1: yeah i think a lot of times when we read paul we see him as being just kind of this domineering character um but on a study on paul we did this I did this last year with one of my churches it was a great reminder for us as we did the study that he also wrote first corinthians 13 yeah which is the chapter that we repeat at every wedding you know when it's all about love so paul had that amazing agape love i think for humanity and No matter what attitude we see him as representing. So, yeah, I would agree with that statement. Yeah,
0: because, like, in modern day, some modern day churches, you know, there's a lot of people are uncomfortable with Paul because of the way, because he sounds harsh when he talks about women in church or when he talks about um, in Romans, when he quotes certain things about the sexuality stuff or when he talks about even just church discipline, like, you know, throw that person out, right? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Paul's very, very hard sometimes, but he was writing primarily to people whom he got beaten imprisoned, jailed for whatever yes like he had a personal relationship with those people he was writing to now -hmm. when we read it we don't have a personal relationship with Paul so we take it as much harsher (laughs) it's very much like my children are saints when there was somebody else when they were younger they were saints when they were over somebody else's house and and like somebody would come like your children are such a joy like no they're not you don't know them right? Or me, you yeah. know, like all of their yeah. friends, it was their greatest joy and desire in life to stay at our house because, oh, we were so great and their parents were so terrible. No, it's just you talk to people differently when you love them. Or yeah. when you know that you, you have a certain relationship, you can speak harsher if you, if you need to. But if, sure. You know, all, so like um, um, bottom of page 74, and this is also answers, I think, the middle question on page 75 it talked where it asked or does discuss talk about Paul's approach to this cross-cultural mission work. What insights can we gain that might help us navigate cross-cultural terrain today? Uh Now I would say it's not even just cross-cultural. I think it's, this is just how we interact with culture today. Yes. I I like what she, she said. And I think this is true. Like I'm not using Jennifer as writings of scripture, but that second to last paragraph on 74, um, um, he said, but Paul chose to engage his skeptical audience more deeply. He looks more closely at his surroundings, reads the inscriptions, notices the details, calms down, and discovers something that can bridge the gap between his perspective and theirs. Yes. And then it goes on to say, Paul could have lectured the Athenian crowd on Yahweh's history with Israel, on the fulfillment of Jesus as the Messiah or the law and grace, you know, thing. And they wouldn't have known what he was talking about, and they wouldn't have cared. Not a clue. And so I really like the fact that uh, I think it's true. I've told you this before, and I tell anybody that that's learning how to teach or desiring to teach better. You teach students, not lessons, right? And Paul was looking in any way possible to say, I am trying to convey a message to this person. I am teaching a person, not simply saying things to them because Mm -hmm. it's the lesson, right? Right. And how you
1: approach one person versus another person can be completely different and can sound completely different because their, their understanding can be completely different so that you have to reach people on their level.
0: As a teacher, remember that you're teaching your students. You're not teaching the encounter. You're using the encounter to teach your students is what's happening. And, And that's, that's a fundamentally important point. And the best way I can illustrate it is of course, because none of my children are actually biologically mine. So we're all different. Two of them are, you know, Filipino. and One of them is biracial and two of them are boys. And one of them is a girl. I cannot, if I want to be an effective parent, treat them the same. No. They all have different backgrounds, different hurts, different joys, different experiences. They're vastly different. And so I had to study or like Hebrews, what is it? Hebrews 12. What, I forgot 1025. Study one another to see how we can spur one another on to good deeds. Mm. And what that verse implies is that you're actually supposed to sit and think about that person in the pew next to you. What have you noticed? What, what things do they love? What things do they struggle with? And then you study them in order to spur them on. That's what Paul is doing. And that's what we really are called to do in the church, to study our students, to teach them.
1: Right, right. Absolutely. Um, So maybe that that insight right there, talking about the discussion question, that insight right there can help us as we are teaching today with our (laughs) encounter lesson, but also as we're teaching within our community and inviting people to come in. You know, you're not going to approach the single mom down the street the same way and and meet their needs in the same way that you're going to uh the the widower down the street, you know, very different, very different needs, but coming at life from completely different angles too. So how do you share that good news with them and in, in a way that they can understand it?
0: Yeah. Here's another one. And this one I actually learned—it's the same principle as you're teaching students, not a lesson. There's a guy worked, or he was our worship leader at Margaret Hank, Jim Smith, mm-hmm. and he would pray for the empty pew, right? And so a lot of times preachers have this vision of filling up their church building, right? But Jim would pray for the empty pew because there was somebody in the community that was hurt, and their only way of healing was being connected with God through worship. And so the Uh focus for Jim was not to have a full sanctuary because, you know, the church should be full. It's because if you have a full sanctuary, that means so many people have been connected with God and being healed. So you're trying to, again, it's the love for them. That's the focus, not the full church, right? The church is the means by which we preach the gospel. It's not the goal necessarily of the gospel. Wow. It's the tool of it. It's the outpost of the kingdom of God that people are invited into.
1: Beautiful. M did that one Mm. one.
0: Yeah.
1: No kidding. That is awesome. Um, Wow.
0: Oh, let's see here. Anything else on that one?
1: Our next discussion question. Okay. yeah. On the end of the question, she says, some of us find it easier to focus on the failures and more difficult to celebrate the successes. Go back to verses 27 through 28a, and how can those verses Help us keep our ministry efforts in perspective. Those verses say, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. To me, kind of like what, what Jim's prayer even and what we've been talking about, how this can help us celebrate and keep our stuff in perspective is understanding that everything that we do, all the prayers that we say for people that even though they're not a part, not connected to our church community, all the people that we invite all in, even the rejections that we face, everything that we do is planting a seed. It's planting a seed for them to come to know Christ in a way that's successful for them. So even when we get that, ah, I don't want to you know, be part of a church or whatever, understand that our reaction, our interaction with that person is always sharing a gospel message. And how are we sharing that gospel message? How are we planting those seeds? How are we, even in the face of rejection, how are we continuing to water that seed so that prayerfully someday it will grow?
0: I think it's just, yeah, like you said, I can't add to that. Way to go, Rev.
1: Thanks. Every once in a while, i get one.
0: <laughs> not, not often.
1: True. I'm celebrating um, that success.
0: <laughs> I mean, we're faithful to the call to preach the gospel yeah. and yeah, do it out of love. Yeah, the Holy Spirit does
1: always, always. Sometimes it hurts, Yeah.
0: You know, because sometimes yeah. you're rejected, but you keep doing it. Yeah, um, keep going. All right, so I want to get to the applying the scripture part. Man, we were just we're just going to drop the mic, <gasps> and if you're if you're a teacher, you just done with us just read her um yeah because she
1: was on fire
0: yeah so idolatry we've talked about idolatry through the encounter the last couple years i mean it's that you know the thing that we create that you know is against god but Mm -hmm. what we think is for us Mm -hmm. um i like the third paragraph last paragraph on 75 our attempts to put god on display will always fall short Our holy houses will always be too small and idols too simplistic, right? Um, There's a- uh, Man. Yeah, no, we're not done yet, friends. Wait till you turn the page. But I do want to throw on a resource. When I was in Bible college, one of my professors uh, told me to read a little book that's worth its weight in two pounds of gold. Um, It's called Your God is Too Small by J.B. Phillips. And uh, oh. and it just talks about the different conceptions of God that we carry. I think that was a 1930s book, maybe a 40s book. But it's things like the the policeman or you know, the you know um very godmother, you know, just these conceptions of God that we've just constructed that make us feel good or happy. But man, they're idols is really what they yeah. are.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. We I did a sermon one time talking about idols, and it was uh was it isaiah where he said or is it isaiah or jeremiah i sometimes get them confused um where they're talking about idols were just pieces of wood or rock just carved by hands right
0: yeah
1: and i pulled out on mr potato head yeah because I i mean that's that's what we do we we create this image of something that we think it
0: looks like. but a little nose here, put some eyes there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she goes on and on the
1: the top of page 76, she says, God creates us. We don't create God, but oh, how we try.
0: And wait, Um. there's more. (laughs) Then she goes on. She's like, God that can fit on a bumper sticker over the grand mind-blowing mystery of a God who says crazy disrupted things about loving our enemies earning the other cheek, taking a Sabbath rest or walking by faith, right? Like like we can put that God in a bumper sticker
1: somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she uses an example, but too blessed to be stressed.
0: Too blessed to be stressed. And
1: I love that. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah, Second,
0: second paragraph, to prove we're good people, we choose a God who votes like us, looks like us, despises the people we hate, loves the lifestyle we lead and surely prefers the way we worship over whatever's going on at the church down the street and then what do we have apollo rocks a little silver a little gold preach it sister
1: Mm, preaching mm, mm. she was on fire in this section this is so so true so true
0: it's great um yeah so um
1: i guess um
0: It's a big discussion question. -hmm. Let's go ahead and read it. In our desires for safety, certainty, status, financial security, popularity, health, etc., we're often tempted to look for more immediate and tangible relief than what God may be offering. What other powers do we align ourselves with in pursuit of those goals? What other priorities and the prejudices that go with them do we adopt? What other gods do we serve? Ask God to help you see areas of your life where you've devoted yourself to the wrong set of solutions or the wrong powers that be and to show you how God is uniquely able to address those you need in your life. Mm. Politics.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I'm going to throw Success. that out there.
1: Corporate ladder. How much money you have, how big your house is, how many cars you drive.
0: Yeah, it's Epicureanism. Really, yeah. The thing that makes you feel good, yeah. Tribalism make it makes you
1: look good according to societal standards, and not understanding that God gives us what we need.
0: Read on, sister. Yeah, she did good there. I'll just read. She did. It's it's a hard.
1: It's a hard lesson to learn, but it's so beautiful.
0: Read the applying the scripture section in like your charismatic preacher voice. Put some emphasis mm-hmm. in it. You can just see mm-hmm. her preaching it. Way to go, Ref.
1: Yeah, yeah, she did good.
0: Um, good. Not any parting shots for
1: man. You know, just understand how this applies to us today, and how much, even through reading this lesson a couple of times, how much I see it affecting our culture around us. And just walk away with what Paul had to say. You know, share the good news, but not berating or belittling or harming but share it out of love
0: and apologetics out of love yeah. yeah share things out of love that's really important so like you know if you're praying for somebody's salvation pray for your heart toward them first mm-hmm. if you're praying that somebody changes their mind because you think they're wrong pray for them first mm-hmm. you know, pray for your yeah. heart to be enlarged so yeah um and then as sunday school teachers pray for your students like pray for them, and then you know teach your students. Yeah. All right. Um. All right. Well. Good. Last next week. Next week, I will be. I might just use. I might use the patio of my beach condo there. Nice. And nice. So I'll be on vacation next week, but we'll be here, yeah. uh, and uh, we'll enjoy seeing you, um, and. May the Lord bless you and give you power as you preach and teach. And may God enlarge amen. your heart both toward God and to your your, your community. So
1: amen. See amen. you next week, my friends. Blessings.